radioinfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Monday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with Frankie Val on the drums and Beans. We are joined today by uh, Julie Kelly, um, investigative journalist who, uh, outside of all the other amazing work she's done, has been one of the only people really covering January 6th in in terms of the courts. Um, And I think, Julie, the last time we had you on, it was a mix of this and Whitmer that we were talking about. Okay, that sounds right. So that would have been last year, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and it's it's there there are a lot of similarities which you can share with us, but we can get into some nitty-gritty because what's happening right now isn't the first time in the Proud Boys case something has gone wrong, but there's a host of other things. So I'll give you the floor to tell us a summary of this Proud Boys case in case people don't understand what's going on. Okay, so right now, um I believe they're entering week 11 of the seditious conspiracy trial for five members of the Proud Boys, including Enrique Terrio, who is their leader, founder. Um, I guess he wasn't the founder, but leader. So anyway, they've been charged with seditious conspiracy, an extremely rare count that nonetheless this DOJ has brought against uh, about close to two dozen people. Um, so what's unfolding in this trial, though, as you brought up Whitmer fednapping hoax, is the revelations of numerous informants who were run into this group um, months before January 6th. And then now one informant who is hired after January 6th, who there's some reporting or at least uh, discussions by the defense counsel that this FBI informant, a woman who's been identified as Jen Lowe, that's sort of, I don't know why she has an alias, Um, but has kind of been reaching out repeatedly, communicating routinely with one defendant, Joe Biggs, reaching out to at least one defense attorney repeatedly, trying to get information from him. And she was scheduled to be a defense witness last week on behalf of the defense. DOJ waits till, the prosecutors wait till the last minute to tell the defense team that, oh, by the way, one of your witnesses has been an FBI informant for almost two years. Through the entirety of the investigation, up until the beginning of the trial. So this was just yet another bombshell revelation um, about uh, FBI informants hired by this Justice Department <clears throat> to uh, to infiltrate uh, the Proud Boys and now influence the outcome uh, of the trial. So this has gotten a lot of attention as as it should. So isn't isn't a couple things? Wasn't Tario also a Fed informant? He was, I think in 2014, he was working with the FBI. Um, I, I'm not sure what the case is, Tracy, but I do know that he was an informant. So, and and wasn't this informant, I was reading, first of all, I was reading the FBI's ridiculous, mm-hmm. ridiculous explanation for why, for, for, for this person. Wasn't she in, infiltrating these dudes like back before in 2019 even? That's right. So apparently now here's what's interesting. Um, A lot of the Proud Boys on are, are, you know, who's legitimate, who's a fat. I don't we don't know. But a lot of Proud Boys, including Joe Biggs, I recall, 
was working with the FBI uh, to tell them about what was happening or what they were hearing <clears throat> about Antifa and what Antifa was going to be doing. Because as you know, Proud Boys would kind of show up where Antifa was, where they were rioting. They were there in Portland. They were in D.C. during some of the 2020 riots as well. So the FBI kind of used that as a ruse to get these Proud Boys to work with them or flip to become paid informants. But what it looks like is that was just a cover to get these Proud Boys to either flip, become informants, and then sort of find out, I don't know if they were finding out about January 6th, if, if they had informants who were kind of instigating what was going to happen on January 6th. Most of the evidence in this trial is group chats, which was kind of what happened in Whitmer as well. Um, and there are handles in these group chats of unidentified people. So you don't even know who they are. Well, you have to assume that they're FBI informants. Mm. And for example, a reporter posted one of these one of these uh, texts and said, and the guy was like, hey, be careful, we're domestic terrorists now. Well, I said, well, who's the guy? He has some weird handle. You don't know the name of him. You could see the other people, the other charge defendants, I said, so who's this guy? No answer. And couldn't that be facetious just because they're they're mocking? Like one thing I've learned is when you're you're joking around in a text or something, they will take it to be literal instead of using context. Of course you're gonna joke around. I mean, I've said that before as a joke. Like what does that it, mean? I say it every day. <laughs> We're all like, domestic terrorists now. Right? I, I, by their definition, yeah. So we're at the point now, and this is something that blows me away. There are two cases I've ever seen in history where the public defender ends up being really a, a friend of justice. This one and the case of Joshua Adam Schulte, who is the WikiLeaks Vault 7 leaker, quote. Um, she's a public defender and she's really going to bat for, uh, how do you say this one defendant's last name? Do you know? Zachary real real it's real okay right she's going Herman to bat for him yeah she's amazing you know I've been to a couple of the uh the trials that um you covered some of the trial and I've seen her in other cases too and uh she's hilarious she's an older woman um she's kind of like got that nutty professor kind of way about her but she really goes to bat for her defendants and now I will say too the same in the Whitmer fednapping hoax for the four men who uh, faced federal uh, kidnapping conspiracy charges, they all had public defenders. And these guys were amazing. They're absolute heroes. I wish we could replicate all of them for the January 6th defendants. Um, but anyway, Carmen Hernandez, I posted this on Twitter. She joked after the government finally came forward and said this witness was an FBI informant. And she said to Judge Tim Kelly, um, <clears throat> you know, I want to put something on the record. I am not, nor have I ever been, a CHS, which is confidential human source, which is really the technical term for informant. So it's become a joke, right? It's a punchline that there are so many informants in this organization or related to this organization that you have lawyers joking about it. Um, but I was glad to see some of the coverage in the mainstream media, even though they tried to spin it like, oh, she was spying on Antifa. In 2021 and 2022, we're told Antifa is like an idea. It's not even an organization. Yeah. So why is Christopher Ray, who said that, hiring informants to, and why don't you hire informants who are in Antifa? Not in. 
Our voice. Yeah. So none of it makes any sense. And this judge is just now, this is the second time in this trial that they've had to stop because of some kind of horrible malfeasance by the government. The first time it was those text messages that they accidentally got access to. Can you go through for everybody what that was and why the judge um, or why the F what the FBI's excuse was for that? Because and the judge bought it, bought it hook, line, and sinker, but get into a little bit of that for us. Well, unfortunately, as you know this, Tracy, um, Judge Tim Kelly, who was appointed to the D.C. District Court by Donald Trump, unfortunately, um, is nothing more like all of these judges than a rubber stamp for the Department of Justice. Tim Kelly spent most of his career in the Department of Justice. He was at Maine Justice, and he, like several other judges, were um, <clears throat> prosecutors in the D.C. U.S. Attorney's Office, which is the office that is prosecuting every single January 6th case. So these are basically his old buddies or his one-time colleagues, or at least in an office where he worked for years. This is what these defendants are up against. So what he's really doing is everything the government, this DOJ, uh, is coming forward with, Tim Kelly is signing off on. He actually took the highly unusual and I think biased step of forcing defense attorneys, defense lawyers to pre-clear any questions to a witness about FBI informants with the government. So think about this. The defense is preparing their case. They're going to have a government witness who is an FBI case agent or investigator, et cetera. They wanna ask this FBI agent or whoever witness about the use of FBI informants, what the informant said, who they were, anything. They have to take those questions and give them to the prosecution first. And then they basically can go to Judge Kelly and say, this is out of line, this is fine. Who does that? As one defense attorney said, this is totally inimical to the adversarial uh, court process. We're not working together. You know, we're trying to win our clients release and freedom and exoneration. Why should we have to tell the prosecutors? And it's certainly not in reverse. You know, Judge Tim Kelly didn't tell the prosecutors, you have to pre-clear any questions you're going to pose to their witnesses with the defense first. Not only that, so but Kyle Serafin always says this, the government shouldn't have a vested interest in an outcome. They're not supposed to want an outcome. They're supposed to, like, that's not the goal of the government prosecuting a, a criminal. They're not supposed to obsess over what the outcome of the case is going to be or direct it in any way. They're supposed to be, like, basically a presenter of the facts and then let a jury decide. They're not supposed to be vested in screwing someone. It's not supposed to happen. Sorry. French, but well, I mean, I think that if they bring a case, they bring indictments, they definitely want to win, right? They want convictions in their cases. Um, but what's more alarming is to your point is that there's not a fair process. And look, this isn't new, right? <clears throat> it's not like this is the first time in history where the government is rigging a trial mm -hmm. so they can win it and a judge is helping them, right? I mean, this goes on all the time. But I think because these charges are so unusual, because seditious conspiracy is so rare, no American has ever been convicted of it until January 6th. And those were the first two uh, Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes and Kelly Meggs, who were convicted. Um, and so 
of course they do want want to win it's how they're winning that is problematic yeah sorry i interrupted you as you were about to tell us about these texts <laughs> so <clears throat> excuse me i think i'm catching your sickness whatever no. you <laughs> we don't want this you don't look sick by the way oh good <laughs> so what happened is um the defense team uncovered what the um government witnesses have to turn over something called jenks material and you know what that is so it's anything that they've discussed related to the trial or their investigation with other people so the this one fbi agent nicole miller produced this spreadsheet of text messages emails communications with other case agents well what one person on the defense team found she hit it or he hit a tab and it exposed all of these <clears throat> messages that the government excuse me it's okay was trying to i guess hide and what they found in these messages number one was references to doctoring an fbi informant report where one fbi agent said to nicole miller edit that report and take out that i was there there was also a discussion. One FBI agent told her that her supervisor had told her to destroy 338 items of evidence. Then there was also the revelation, just like we're finding out with this new FBI informant, um, that the FBI was spying on communications between Zachary Real and his then attorney at the time in 2021. They were mon they were looking at monitored communications these men are all in jail under pretrial detention orders they were denied bail even though they're not convicted they're not convicted of anything or even charged with violent crime um but nonetheless judge tim kelly has repeatedly denied their release so zachary real joe biggs ethan nordine and dominic pizzola have all been in prison since the spring of 2021 really winter of 2021 um, so Zachary Real is communicating with his attorney, and then these messages reveal that uh, FBI agents were talking about it. Not only were they talking about what these emails said, they were passing them on to the lead prosecutors in the case. The so what happened? So this is a huge scandal, right? DOJ comes back with their excuses. Number one, okay, the reference to the doctoring of the FBI informant report had to do with an email chain because the supervising agent was then promoted and wasn't handling this informant anymore, blah, 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 blah. Ridiculous, right? The reference to destroyed evidence they claimed had to do with the 20-year-old case and its routine for the FBI to destroy evidence after a case is closed, after appeal, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. And oh, by the way, it's okay for us to spy on attorney client privileged communications because this man is incarcerated. And if you're incarcerated, you sign off that you understand that your communications are being monitored and you basically give up your your rights. Your this is what DOJ came back with, right? Laughable. That Does is so abhorrent. Yep. That doesn't mean attorney client privilege. <laughs> communications it means if you're on the phone with your mom or like your sister that's right right that doesn't mean that when you talk to your attorney because they won't allow you a skiff or a separate room that your communications are now available to the prosecution with your attorney right and the judge is okay with this apparently he, right he did not say a word 
He did not say a word and say, excuse me, this is preposterous. First of all, you have come to me, asked for pretrial detention for these defendants. I've given that to them. They can't meet in person with their defense attorneys for the most part, especially the guys who are in the D.C. gulag, yeah. because they were basically in solitary under COVID rules. And if they weren't vaccinated, they couldn't meet with their defense lawyer in person. Mm -hmm. So they put these guys in a box, literal box, and then say, oh, OK, they're, you're going to monitor jailhouse communications to make sure they're not planning another crime. Right. Not how they're building their defense against the government. Judge Kelly hasn't said a word. Carmen Hernandez, who now represents Zachary Real, as, as we already said, has filed a motion to dismiss the case against him based on 6A violations, that the government has been spying on privileged communications and wants him released and wants him uh, the case judge. This is now three weeks old. Judge Kelly has not said a word. He hasn't even ruled on her motion yet. I know he will. He's going to come back and say, well, no. the government says blah, 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 and that's fine. The same... Did he ask the government? Did he ask prosecutors? Oh, you say this is a 20-year-old case. What case is it? Let's he see. The he doesn't care. <clears throat> he doesn't care. It's really appalling what is happening in this man's courtroom, but it's also what's happening in basically every courtroom. It's it's pretty it's pretty stunning. And also, in addition to that, they stopped the trial for that. <clears throat> and then they wouldn't let the jury know about any of this stuff. They They kept it from the jury, right? But then... Not even three weeks later, this happens. Right. What happened with this? Now, a couple things. Did that? Does it seem to you, speculatively, of course, that this this source, this person that was going to be be, you know, questioned on the stand by as a defense witness, told them that she was a source and they were going to ask her questions and she was going to, or did they completely have no idea she was a source at all? They were completely blindsided. The defendants and the defense attorneys, I've heard they were, not only were they stunned, Tracy, what's sad, what I heard <clears throat> is some of the defendants, especially Joe Biggs, who talked to this woman quite often, they were completely devastated that someone they thought that they could trust, you know, these, all these defendants have been basically abandoned by their family members, by their loved ones, their communities. They've been fired from their job. They're considered domestic terrorists. They're completely destroyed, especially the Proud Boys. So the fact that this woman was so solicitous of Joe Biggs earning his trust, talking to Joe Biggs about his own legal representation, also forbidden for an FBI informant to do. She repeatedly reached out to Nicholas Smith, who is the uh, attorney defending Ethan Nordeen. And, um, you know, he talked about in one motion or in the court transcript, he's like, you know, she reached out to me a number of times. I don't know how she got my number. He said, but she's calling me asking how the hearing went. What did I think about this kind of evidence? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, I, I didn't answer, but I have no idea where she came and from. Even if they didn't instruct, because the FBI's ridiculous filing about her basically says we didn't task her to do anything like this, but you're, she knows she's not supposed to do things like that. Like, mm -hmm. there's no way she doesn't know, acting as a source for this long, that she's not supposed to reach out to attorneys for... I, it just it it defies credulity. Like I I can't even fathom 
how this judge can sit there. So there was a hearing the other day, correct? That's right. Do you know yeah. what happened in that hearing by chance? Um, they just kind of went back and forth about when she would testify. So the government, the prosecutors told the defense team late Wednesday afternoon, after the jury, of course, had been excused for the day, they're talking about their witness who's scheduled to testify the next day, Thursday. And the prosecutors go, oh, by the way, um, we need to let you guys know she's been an informant from April 2021 through January of 2023, which is when the trial started. So then the defense is like, OK, well, what do we do with this information? So that's Carmen Hernandez filed another motion that afternoon explaining what this informant had done, her outreach to defendants, her outreach to their relatives, their loved ones. She was in like prayer groups that they have for these defendants. And then, of course, her outreach to um, defense attorneys. And so the government came back and said, well, basically, um, you know, we didn't tell her to do anything. We didn't ask her to um, to surveil the defense team. You know, we they didn't really have an explanation for what she was doing. She goes to CNN. So Judge Kelly doesn't know. He, he, he doesn't know what to do with this. You know, he's going to wait till the DOJ tells him what to do. Yeah. So the hearing's going back and forth. Um, they produce some reports because, as you know, Tracy, covering all of this, uh, the FBI has to keep records of their FBI informants' documentation. They turned over parts of those documents to the DOJ, to the defense, and then gave Judge Kelly under seal, ex parte, gave him other records that the defense can't see. That's this. It, I mean, this is a, it's a banana republic. It's like a it's a crazy court, like banana republic style stuff. So it's kind of up in the air right now. I think she is scheduled to testify this week, but Judge Kelly is going to put strict limits on the defense about what they can ask her about. She goes to CNN and tells CNN, oh, I was there. I was hired to, as I said, mostly report on Antifa. Ridiculous. She's hired out of the San Antonio. Is that a hotbed of Antifa violence? Like, where does she come from? Hired out of the San Antonio FBI field office to talk to the Proud Boys about Antifa. So that's where we are. So I don't know what's going to happen this week. I don't know if she's going to testify at all now. I mean, they may have something up their sleeve that they can, that they can, you know, finagle out of this. Um, right. If Carmen is as, is as kind of sly as you, you say she is, I anticipate that she might have some strategy there. Frank, I've been talking a lot. Do you have any questions? Well, I have a, I have, I have a pretty fundamental question about um, about monitored communications. Um, are we talking when you discuss text messages? Are these all collected by embedded Fed sources? Or where are the text messages coming from, or, or are they being subpoenaed from phone companies or other forms of data collection? So, um, so I'd love to know a little bit more about actual monitored communications. That's a great question. So my understanding is that um, <clears throat> the monitored system is uh, handled by the Bureau of Prisons, which is under the Department of Justice. So basically, the Bureau of Prisons or whoever their snitches who's monitoring all these communications um, can then pass that along to the FBI because they're all basically working for the same people. So I think that's how uh, any emails uh, between 
Zachary Riedel and his attorney at the time got into the hands of, of the FBI. Oh, so all these text messages, uh, these text messages and digital communications you talk about, these have all been, um, this is all within the time that these defendants have been in custody, that we're not talking about text messages prior to arrest? No, this is while he was in okay. jail. Okay. Federal prison. Yeah, yeah. so okay. all of that's monitored and recorded anyway. But it's and they say that you waive your right to privacy, but they don't mean when you're talking to your attorney, they mean regular communications like you see stupid criminals all the time telling their mom, hide the drugs, they're underneath my bed and, you know, whatever. That stuff's admissible when you talk, you know, but not like, OK, attorney, here's my defense strategy. Like, let's talk about. It's that's terrible. So well, what they were talking about is, of course, is that they were planning to go to trial, that they were not going to accept any plea deals. Zachary Real probably has the well, I mean, I think all the case, the entire case against these men is so weak. How can you overthrow the government when you bring no weapons? How do you overthrow the government if you're Ethan Nordine and you literally walk through an open door on the upper terrace side of uh, one of the upper terrace sides of the building? with Capitol Police standing right there. He's on surveillance video walking through by himself. He's not with anyone else. He walks through, there's, I mean, there's 300 or so people who go in through this entrance. Capitol Police are standing right there. How do you overthrow the government when you're, you don't attack any lawmakers or you don't assault police officers? None of them are charged with attacking police officers. Only one, Dominic Pizzola, is charged with using any kind of weapon um, a riot shield, which he didn't bring, he picked up, and smashing a window. He's the only one who's accused of vandalizing the building. This is ridiculous that they think that these men tried to overthrow, they say, by force, um, to frustrate or interrupt the you know transfer of power. Wasn't it Joe Biden who said that they have fighter jets so our guns won't matter? I mean, like Joe Biden literally said, well, you can't do anything with your guns. We've got fighter jets. Like basically threatening the American people if they were to decide to, you know, if they thought that their Second Amendment was useful to fight the government, that there's no way that they could win with guns, let alone with no weapons. Do you see what I'm trying to get at here? Yes. <laughs> Running to like, it's it's absurd. And you said something that I really, really appreciated on Twitter. You said, how about these House representatives spend more time focused on uh, the U.S. attorney out of D.C. than they do on Bragg because they have oversight of the DOJ and not so much a local prosecutor. Can you explain that frustration that a lot of people have right now? Because I have it. Yeah, I I don't understand why Congress is getting involved with what Alvin Bragg is doing. Um, Alvin Bragg is going to do his thing. Um, it looked apparently I mean, they were supposed to indict Trump last week. Here we are in a new week. Uh, who knows? Maybe the grand jury came back. It didn't sign off on it. Didn't give them a bell. Didn't um, indict Donald Trump. Maybe they saw that they thought this was a you know foregone conclusion and didn't decide not to. Who knows? It's not Congress's job. It He should not be investigated. The man who needs to be shut down, investigated, condemned publicly, who needs to be a household name is Matthew Graves, the DC US attorney. He is a Biden campaign advisor. He's a Biden appointee. And now he is continuing to escalate 
the prosecution of people, American citizens who protested Joe Biden's election on January 6, 2021. Let's not forget that's what was the basis of what happened on January 6th. It wasn't to stop the electoral college count. That's not what these people were attempting to do. That's not even what was going on, Tracy. What was going on the afternoon of January 6th? Not the certification necessarily of the electoral college. You were gonna have at least 12 hours of debate of contested outcomes in six key states. Yep. When the so-called breach happened, they weren't counting electoral college votes. Ted Cruz and Paul Gosar were starting to uh, voice their objections Challenge, to yeah. Arizona's election. That's what was happening. Mitch McConnell was desperate to stop this, um, first of all, the, the contesting of these six states, but also they wanted to institute this 10-day election audit commission. Yep. It was last minute. It was Hail Mary. It was stupid. It was never going to happen, the commission. But they still were going to be able to object to these six states because they had a rep and they had a senator mm -hmm. uh, for every single one. That is what the regime and never Trumpers like Mitch McConnell wanted shut down. And that's exactly what the insurrection did, right? So the whole idea that people are confused about what was actually happening on January 6th. So people were there to protest the outcome of the election. The fact that Matthew Graves and also his wife is the head of a very radical left-wing uh, women's legal center in Washington, D.C. as well, protesting, and she would protested the Trump, uh, you know, contested a lot of things that Donald Trump was trying to do. Um, she's obviously a Democrat as well. So to have Matthew Grace doing what he's doing now, saying that the number of defendants will double, that this caseload will go over 2,000 individuals. They've already arrested, I think, 10 people so far in the month of March. Yeah. 26 months later. So Congress has oversight of the Department of Justice. I think they forget about that, but they do. So for James Comer, Jim Jordan, anyone else, Stop talking about Alvin Bragg. Start talking about Matthew Graves. Not only that, but look what they're doing to just off the top of my head. Steve Friend, whistleblower, FBI, specifically about January 6th and the treatment of these people mm -hmm. by the FBI. Have you seen televised testimony at the Weaponization Committee from Steve Friend? Nope. I've seen a lot of really pretty actors and actresses up there, but... um. You know, great. Matt Taibbi and 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 Schellenberger were great, but you've got in DOJ whistleblowers, FBI whistleblowers with valid whistleblower complaints. One specifically about January sixth and the treatment of these people, and we haven't seen that at all. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene has been very vocal about the jail conditions, which I are terrible. Um, they're supposed to be like a, a group of Democrats and Republicans going to the, the jail to see what's going on there. They were punished. They had retaliation after the Tucker Carlson aired, aired the little footage he aired. That's mm -hmm. another topic we should talk about. Um, what now? Like, what are they doing? They're doing nothing. These people are being abused. They're political prisoners being abused by their own government. 
Right. I, I don't know. Where are the hearings and where are the public hearings? I think that they are taking sworn testimony from people like Steve Brennan and others. I believe that that's, that's true. So maybe they're vetting, but then we saw what happened with that. So what happens? You have Steve Friend who you know goes to talk to the um, committee, and the Democrats put together this whole hit piece report about you know deconstructing or debunking and smearing a whistleblower, which yeah. <clears throat> I thought we weren't supposed to do, but apparently it's okay again. Where are our night prime time televised hearings? You know what? I mean, <clears throat> we definitely want to hear from the whistleblowers. You need to hear from the family members. You need to hear from the defendants themselves. What? they have gone through um, their lives destroyed over misdemeanor offenses forever forever, forever. i mean I i'm good friends with brandon strock okay right. he he is getting you know he can't even get his hair cut anymore and he didn't even go into the capitol mm -hmm. i mean the, the, when you google his name or any of their names the first thing that comes up is it's it's a misdemeanor like it's a misdemeanor trespass in a lot of cases. Right. Trespassing. Yep. I mean, I talk to a man, <clears throat> every time I talk to a January 6th defendant, I'm just so heartbroken at what's happened to them. And I met one man a couple of weeks ago. Um, he uh, you know, was charged with the normal four um, misdemeanors. Uh, and I, I believe he was convicted or he either plead pleaded to it, his own mother cut him off. His mother wants nothing to do with him because she's he shamed the family name. It's like, I, this is nothing that's ever happened in history. So why are we fixating on Alvin Bragg and some ridiculous charge that he's gonna bring against Donald Trump, who's a big boy, who has a lot of lawyers and a lot of money and can defend himself instead of these poor people and being prosecuted, persecuted by Matthew Grace. And there are so many. There are so many of them. There's thousands. I have like, do you know anything about the John Sullivan case? You know, it's so funny, Tracy. I was thinking yesterday that I needed to look up his docket and see what's happening with him because that's really completely disappeared. The media doesn't seem interested in his case at all. That's so I don't know. They're actually going after him hard, believe it or not. They seized his bank accounts. Every other month he's begging for his money. It's like 90 grand they took from him. They seized his bank accounts. They won't give it back. His family can't support him anymore. He's homeless. He's got all kinds of problems. But he was working for them. So I'm kind of confused about that whole thing. It's weird. Um, but he's not in jail. He's That's not right. He's not in jail. So I, I, I agree with you. It's a very strange case. But I don't have anything. I should look up and see where the status of his uh, of his case. You know how to look at all this stuff now. It's 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 uh, very complicated, but you you get the hang of it after a while. Frank, do you have any another question for Julie? I have a few more, but I have to step away for two seconds. Yeah, well, I, I, I wanted to, obviously this is this might be a little bit uh, self evident uh, with the way things are going, but have the security cam footage um, uh, revelations and releases made any impacts at least for defense teams and their strategies is it penetrating at all has, has it been tried yet uh to 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 be able to show the conditions of what was really going on with people gaining entry um how i mean anything in these in the in the just the, the little bit of of um of footage that's been released that that shows 
contradictory situations brewing at the Capitol that day. What what, what, what impacts did that have? Well, <clears throat> I think what Tucker did, and this is why I supported um, Tucker and his team getting the footage or access to the footage first, because um, what it had to have maximum impact, right, Frank? So whatever clips that they produced really need needed to help really you know have an impact on people and i think that it did especially the jacob chansley um kate you know watching him walk through the building with police all over the place kind of opening doors for him trying to see where he could get in or get out um and just the bottom line that he wasn't arrested so i think that that did um help change people's view and more importantly sort of fuel this demand uh, for the public for truth and transparency. How it's impacted cases is you have a few defense attorneys who have filed motions in court asking to delay trials um, until they can see this extra footage. Um, and so those in one case, um, Sarah Carpenter's case, she went to her judge, she was about to go to trial, she went to her judge, it was the same week I think that Tucker's uh, first set of clips were aired, asked for her trial to be delayed so she could, her and her attorney could see all the footage. The judge said, no, it's not going to impact your case. Of course, DC jury returned all guilty verdicts like they're doing in basically practically every single case. But there are other defense motions that are pending. <clears throat> What's really interesting is that the Press Coalition, which is a group of about 15 or 16 major news corporations, ABC, NBC, Wall Street Journal, um, they have at, finally asked a judge in one case uh, to release, to take the protective seal off of all of the surveillance video. This, All this video has been under protective orders, basically sealed, considered classified material. They call it highly sensitive government material. And so they just sort of have this blanket protection order over this, uh, over all of the uh, recordings. So the press coalition finally asked a judge uh, in the case of William Pope, who is defending himself. He's free state well on Twitter. You guys should follow him if you don't, because he's really doing amazing work. Um, <clears throat> so in his case, and they said, we want to see all the video. Tucker Carlson has it. Congress has it. We want to see all of it. Now, why the press coalition didn't do that in March of 2021, when the general counsel for the U.S. Capitol Police came out and said, oh, we can't give this video up. It has to be, we have to control it, basically, is what Capitol Police said. And then DOJ, of course, came in and said, well, we're going to keep it under these sealed orders in every single case. Why the press coalition didn't do that two years ago, I don't know. I guess I can guess why. Um, so we'll see what uh, what the judge says in this case. Um, I think it's Judge Contreras. Uh, so we'll see what it, if he does uh, consent to that. And if he does, DOJ is going to put up a huge fight. Judge Contreras is the only hope in that district. He's he, at least from what I've experienced. I know he's done some really crap stuff in January six cases. But when I hear that name, it's like maybe there's a chance. Um Maybe, uh, but also the defendants themselves have been under order not to release their own discovery materials of footage that they have, right? They could they could get in trouble if they release their own footage that, that shows their innocence. Right, so any, all of this is under protective orders. Yeah. Every single clip, 
except what the D, what the DOJ wants released. If they want to release something to CNN or the Washington Post, you know, they gave clips to the House Impeachment Committee. Of course, they gave clips to the January 6th Select Committee. So it's really hypocritical of them then to turn around and say, well, Tucker Carlson's uh, team of producers should not have access to this footage. Why? You guys have already given clips away. They, they gave clips to HBO for their documentary on January 6th. So now that the right wants it or now the defense attorneys want it, suddenly it poses a national security issue. It's just ridiculous. But Tracy, not only can these defendants they can't copy it. They can't download any of it. They can't share it. If they want to view surveillance video in their case, they have to have a, a defense attorney or a paralegal or someone with them when they view it, which made it almost impossible for incarcerated defendants, those who have been denied bail, to see the surveillance video against them. What are they trying to hide? Well, we know not what they're trying to hide. We know these little selected clips have been scattered all over the media for two years to help promote this bogus narrative about January 6th, when we all uh, most of it probably will be exculpatory in these cases, identify more undercover agents, which we just saw last week, someone, someone did release something under protective order, uh, undercover agents, uh, informants, um, who is instigating the crowd who still has not been identified or charged, who is setting things up ahead of time. What's interesting is there seems like there's a big chunk of video in the early mornings of, um, I think it's the evening of January 5th to the early morning of January 6th that Capitol Police don't have the recordings for. Well, why? So, um, yeah, I, I hope Contreras will consent to the press coalition. I think they will appeal it if he doesn't. So this is going to be an interesting fight to watch. So we were talking via text and I was, you know, we were talking about how these groups actually aid law enforcement. Um, I've been to a ton of rallies where there have been Oath Keepers working with the, the local police to keep order. Because, not because, you know, typically right-wing demonstrators or rally-goers are violent, but because when we do go rally, we're faced with violence. Significant violence often, where... You know, people are throwing things or attacking or fighting. I mean, every every single rally slash protest I was at from 2016 onward, there was some crazy left wing lunatic beating someone up or throwing something or spitting or whatever. Yeah. So to see now these say they have relationships with the police like this is something that's just known. So to see them attacking even I wasn't involved with planning or anything, but I spoke at the very first election integrity rally at Freedom Plaza in D.C. in November before Thanksgiving, right after the election. There were people all the way down to the Capitol from Freedom Plaza. There had to have been a million people there. I know everybody says that, you know, there were only a few thousand. The streets were full all the way to the SCOTUS. They were full. Oath Keepers was working with the local police to give security to the people who spoke. Now all of a sudden they're seditious conspiracists. Like, they have relationships with these people. So That's always been the, the case with, with oath, oath Keepers, though. If you go back far enough. Cops. 
Yeah, I mean, they, that's I mean, they were there protecting protesters in Ferguson, you know, to from the cops just to make sure that they were able to protest if they were protesting that burning structures down. I mean, it, it's just a, it's just one of those things. What what lens are you viewing this through? It's it's terrible. So what next? Will like will Hernandez appeal any of these verdicts in this Proud Boys case up? And then do you know anything about the Court of Appeals above above this? Has the Court of Appeals for that district heard anything in any of these cases yet? Well, I will tell you, we are awaiting um, what could be a really explosive verdict out of the D.C. Circuit, and that is the government's appeal of the um, obstruction of an official proceeding felony. Now, this is the most common felony that has been slapped against, I think, more than 350 now, January 6th defendants. It's DOJ's way of taking a mostly misdemeanor case and turning it into a felony case. Um, this is a novel use of the law. It was a post-Enron law. It was never supposed to be used against people interrupting a government proceeding like I think that's kind of a constitutional right. I mean, you can't do it violently, right? You can't go in and, but this ha this just happened last week. How many times? You had protesters shouting down um, Tony Blinken, which yeah. I thought she was right, but it doesn't matter. I mean, this goes on all the time. It Look at what happened in the Kavanaugh. Those yeah. people are facing 20 year prison sentences. Um, but one judge, Judge Nichols um, is the only judge who has dismissed this uh, obstruction of an official proceeding count in um, with one case of Garrett Miller. I think there are two more on the specific case. At any rate, Judge Nichols dismissed the count and he dismissed it twice. DOJ came and appealed his dismissal and it's now pending before the D.C. Circuit. Arguments were made in the middle of December. So we should be hearing from the appellate court soon on December. that. If they uphold Judge Nichols' dismissal of this, that's going to be huge because my assumption then is DOJ will appeal that again. And it, this has to end up at the Supreme Court at some point. Something about it does. But December they argued an oral argument and it's March? Right. I think it's usually within 90 days, I was told, three months. So I think the oral arguments were... December 14th. In important cases, you you don't typically, the, in well, my experience, I'm not an attorney, but in my experience, you don't wait that long. I mean, it, I guess it's a very difficult thing to decide. It shouldn't be, like you said. It shouldn't be. It was never intended to be used this way, ever. Explain Every that. Judge knows that. Every single judge knows that. The key word is corruptly. So you're telling me somebody, some random guy from Indiana walks into the Capitol building, what you know, just follows a crowd in there, the doors open, he doesn't know it, you know, it'd been broken windows before. He's walking around taking pictures. He gets slapped with with obstruction of an official proceeding. And the key word is corruptly. The guy didn't plan to do anything, and he didn't do anything. So these judges know this is a garbage felony. They are cowards. They want to help the government turn these protesters, these American citizens into felons. So they have to go to jail and they get to lose their guns and they get to lose their right to vote. That's what these judges want. So Nichols is the only one with the guts to say, no, this is not what it meant. It was meant to be. So now we'll find out if the appellate court, I think there were two Trump judges, not that it matters, it two Trump judges and one maybe Obama judge on the three panel, uh, three judge panel who heard the arguments 
Um, so you're right, Tracy. What are they waiting for? This should be a no-brainer. Not only that, but then it'll it could go to the full panel after that. Even That's right. so, then there'll be 16 of them making the decision if they appeal that, and then it'll go up to the SCOTUS. But right. th- I, this leaves me just I, I we have no justice system anymore in this country. These judges have personal vendettas against people whose politics differ from them. And that's that's it. That's it. And people are losing their lives, their livelihoods. But if that appeals court comes back and upholds that judge's ruling, I guarantee you every single person who was convicted on that is going to come back and say, even people that pled to it are going to come back and want a reversal or something. There's no doubt it will be a major disruption to the entire January 6th prosecution. Think of this is what um, this is what Jacob Chansley is spending 41 months in jail for, for pleading guilty to obstruction of an official proceeding. Um, you know, you've got people who are sentenced to years in jail for this, months and years in jail for uh, obstruction of an official proceeding. This is the count, I believe, that they're going to bring against Donald Trump, obstruction of an official proceeding and conspiracy. So this will have major reverberations either way. It, DC Circuit overturns Nichols then, you know, the the defendants in that case right, will appeal that as well, right? So this is probably the pathway either way how it gets to the Supreme Court. Do you have faith in the Supreme Court that they're going to read this fairly understanding the impact it will have on the January 6th prosecution? Probably not. I don't know. I don't know. They haven't been that great. I, I, I just... I. It seems to be at least now a little bit easier for attorneys to take these cases without being threatened themselves, which is a step in the right direction as it is, even though we've gone through so many already. Frank, do you have any um, other questions for Julie? Uh, it might be way too off the beaten path. I wanted to ask about the uh, suicide cops again, but... Um, Go ahead. I I just don't understand. This is something I, I wish that some more people would dig into because it makes up the, the basis of the body count. Um, that is rolled out there by the media, how all the, the, the cops that were that were killed on on account of this mosh pit at this at the uh, at the Capitol. But um, when you but I, I just don't understand how four police officers decided to, to kill themselves, a few, you know, days or weeks after this this day at the Capitol because of that event. I, I don't I don't understand it at all. There's a lot of theories out there, but from the beginning, this this it didn't smell right. But uh, it's only used in one way here, and it's, it's never really prodded at. You know, uh, have you ever t- taken a look into this? Um, not really. Um, I've heard the stories about um, some of the men who committed suicide. You know, right afterwards, um, and how they can assign it to January sixth. I really am not sure. Um, so I haven't looked a lot into it, but the idea that the government, that Merrick Garland and even Joe Biden uh, assign those alleged reported suicides. I mean, I haven't seen any official reports either, nor would we to January, to the death count, as you said, for January 6th it is so outrageous, just like what they did to Brian Sicknick. Um, I mean, the exploitation of that man's death of a stroke caused by blood clots um, the next day, the fact that not only the government, Joe Biden, Merrick Garland, his co-workers, et cetera, are exploiting it, but his own family. It's really uh, appalling what they are doing to, from what all accounts was a very nice guy who got sick, 
He wasn't bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher, like the New York Times said at first. You know, he didn't have an allergic reaction to chemical spray. Uh, he died of a stroke at the age of 42. So the whole idea what they are making about the police officers dying, I think I think uh, Joe Biden or Merrick Garland said five police officers died. I mean, I, I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's really uh, just beyond the pale what they're saying. So I haven't looked into it. But what we do know now, Frank, is this was, as I reported, uh, the worst incident of police brutality since the civil rights era. I mean, this was widespread police brutality that resulted in the deaths of four Trump supporters, not just Ashley Babbitt, who we know was shot and killed by Michael Byrd. Roseanne Boylan, Kevin Greeson, Benjamin Phillips, three Trump supporters who died either partially or wholly because of what police were doing that day. Um, gassing people, using rubber bullets, throwing stun grenades into the crowd, launching it over people's heads, which is huge no-no, outside to people who weren't doing anything except standing on Capitol grounds. Beating them senseless, too. Beating them, you know, beating women over the head with nightsticks, asphyxiating them. I mean, this was, this is another reason why they don't want the surveillance video released. But now we're getting body cam footage, which is even more, I think, um, you know, gives a, a better view into what uh, police misconduct that day. Um, so, you know, maybe some of those police officers were involved in that. I don't know. Um, but but it's just really despicable that people keep lying about it. There was a, a bunch of emails. Jennifer Moore, who is the director of human resources um, and other things at the FBI. We got a bunch of her emails from an FBI whistleblower at Uncover DC, which we published. Peter yeah. Strzok wasn't happy about it. Um, and in one of those emails, she talks about how excited she is that they've arrested two of the men in connection with Brian Sicknick's death. And I just, I read that and I'm, I'm just appalled by it because they know it's a lie. They knew it was a lie and they know it's a lie. And it, this, it, this is not the United States that I've, that I know, or at least I thought I knew it. It's a terrible, terrible travesty what's going on. Frank, anything to close out? No, no, that's uh, that's that's all I, that was coming up for me along the way, and I, I enjoyed listening to you guys. Anything we're looking for, Julie? What what's on your radar? What's coming in the next week or two or three? So I'm going to keep following the Proud Boys trial um, and see what else is uh, what other trials are unfolding. Um, I'll be watching what's happening in the Will Pope case. So not just uh, the ruling on the Press Coalition's request for all the video. Uh, but he also wants all the video of undercover D.C. cops who have been identified. Uh, so the judge is still uh, deciding on that. Also, this obstruction uh, ruling from the D.C. Circuit, we should be hearing soon. Um, so that's really what I'm going to watch. But also, I would encourage people, the two men charged in Brian Sicknick's uh, death, Julian Cater was just sentenced to 71 months in prison for allegedly spraying Brian Sicknick with pepper spray. He finally pleaded guilty after 18 months in the gulag. Um, but there's an interview up with Steve Baker, who's doing really good work, too, with George Tanios, the other man who was charged, spent five months in the D.C. gulag before uh, the circuit, uh, on a very rare ruling, overturned his pretrial detention. George Tanios refused to take a plea deal. DOJ came back, finally dropped the assault charges against him. He pleaded guilty to two misdemeanors, but he is still considered a cop killer 
and his life nonetheless destroyed. He lost his business. He's lost so much. Anyway, Steve Baker has an uh, interview up with George Tanio, so people should watch that too. Yeah, and make sure you go to on tr- both Truth Social and on Twitter. It's at Julie underscore Kelly two, and I think Truth Social just doesn't have the underscore between your first and last name. Right. Um, I'll put that in the show notes. Julie, thank you for doing this work. Um, when I saw that you were doing this, I was just like, oh, thank goodness, because I didn't think that I'd be able to to do it, um, at least not in, in such a great way. And you've been on top of this since day one, and it's t- taken bravery. And now it's a lot easier for people to talk about this stuff. So a lot more people are talking about it and, you know, going on television and whatever. But remember the OGs is what I like to say, because that's how it all begins. <laughs> So um, how can people follow you other than what I've said? And um, will you come back again soon to talk with us again? I definitely will come back. Not at 830 on Monday morning. <laughs> uh, no, but you're right. So Julie underscore Kelly to in Twitter. I post a lot of things mostly on Twitter. Um, so screenshots of court filings or transcripts, et cetera. All of my reporting can be found at American Greatness and Greatness.com. And I do have a book on January 6th out. Uh, it was out what? last year January uh so just look up Julie Kelly January 6th available on Amazon you'll have to have a version two coming up soon I will unbelievable um you have been listening to the dark to light podcast with Frankie Val on the drums and beans you can see us every Monday Wednesday and Friday at 2 30 eastern time on TuneIn, Stitcher Apple iTunes Google Podcasts iHeartRadio Spotify and RadioInfluence.com Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the crack of dawn, 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Rumble, Twitter, and Getter. And make sure you check out Frank's show Monday through Friday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time on Rumble and also at quitefrankly.tv. We'll be back here on Wednesday. Later. Later.